Hey, everybody. Time for another Code Pen Radio. I have another guest, a fantastic guest, all the way from Oslo, Norway. I think I have that right. It's Sarah Fossheim. I got two. Th- you can correct me on two things. How did I do on the location and name? Both are correct. Yes. <laughs> fantastic. Thanks for joining me, Sarah. How are you today? I'm good. It's good. quite uh, It's quite dark where I am. It's <laughs> yeah. quite yeah. Dark, uh, still quite uh, cold in Norway as well. It's just the miracle of technology. It literally blows my mind a little bit that you're just entirely across the world. And yet here we sit talking about our little cool industry of web design and development and stuff. That's what you do. You call yourself a multidisciplinary developer and designer, um, specifically passionate about ethics and accessibility. I think we'll get to that stuff. That sounds fun. But you you know, have a, you know, have been around the code pen scene for a while too, making some really amazing and unusual creations, sometimes focusing on like kind of old school technology, not, not technology, old school, like, like, I don't know, tables and for layout and stuff, but literally visual manifestations of, of old actual technology. Like one of your I don't know, perhaps most famous pens is this creation of this Roland MC500 machine. And when you look at it, you're like, that's a photograph. You know, it has that like unbelievable, you know, the shadows on it and stuff are just perfect such that it it really does look like a, well, a 3D rendering or photograph of this old machine, of which I don't even know what it does. But I think it has something. (laughs) Do you not really know what it does? Oh, that's amazing. But most of them, uh, my process is basically looking at uh, pictures on Tumblr and Instagram and wherever I can find that of basically 80s, 70s, 90s technology. And Wow. Yeah. That's where that yeah. came from? Because I was going to say, there's probably some people in the world that look at this and be like, oh, that old piece of technology, that really takes me back. And then some people, especially, I mean, I'm... 42 and I look at this thing as old. I'm sure if you're 20 something today you're like, "Where did you get that off a of 80s rocket ship or something?" And I guess the answer is yes, you kind of did, right? Maybe yeah. not a rocket <laughs> ship, but this is an old piece of technology. Yeah, it's really fun making those and I completely started it by accident as well. Did you really tell me that story? Yeah, so it started basically some afternoon. I was waiting in a waiting room. I don't remember if it was the doctor's office or something. And um, I had my laptop with me and I didn't feel like working on work-related stuff because I didn't know how long I had to wait. And by accident, Dribble was still open on some interface of an old calculator. And I looked at it while I was waiting and I was like, hey, maybe I can try to make it in CSS just to kill time. And then that was really fun. And I kind of learned a couple of uh, new CSS properties or like how how to combine background images and how to play around a bit with that. And then later I was like, that's fun. I want to do this again. And then I straight went to this Polaroid uh, camera, also like a vintage model, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one really took off. And I kind of kept doing it out of spite as well, because I noticed that every time I posted one of those, I got so many comments of uh, also on Reddit and probably Hacker News as well and on Twitter too, 
of people like being angry almost that I was doing this with diffs and not SVGs. So then uh, it classic. also became this trolling thing of I'll just make another cool one just to piss <laughs> off the people who think it shouldn't be done. <laughs> CSS art out of spite. I like it. Yeah. So this the calculator the is that the Albatron eight oh three one? Yeah. yeah, fascinating. And that was a dribble originally? Wow. Yeah, it was a dribble of someone who made a 3d rendering of uh the um, of the actual calculator in blender or something and then i saw like ha huh, that person that is in in this other technology i can do it in css yeah it looks great it has these like normally you think of the button as the thing that would have the gradient on it but in this case of this unusual calculator it's almost like under the button has a gradient and then the buttons are a flat color and it's a very unusual look very cool. Yeah, but then it looks like, I mean, that must have been before, right? Date one, I guess it's January to August. Yeah. yeah. You know, to me, the the Roland one is like a step far above the, the, the calculator, just in complexity alone, I think. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That was and a hard it, one. <laughs> I bet. Because there's little moments I feel like you could cheap out, you know, like there's a, the display is very, it's like a one color, really simple display that has this kind of, I don't know, greenish, bluish kind of gray background. I'm sure anybody looking at it would recognize that type of display, probably from calculators, which still exist today. But I think you could just, you know, color sample that. And be like, oh, that's the, you know, that's still evocative of that type of display. But that's not what you did. You have this, like, that display has these little kind of soft vertical things going on. That, like, it's, it's hard to describe. It, it, you know, it, you could express it in CSS. I'm sure you did as a gradient of some kind. But it's so subtle. So it was like layered repeating gradients. And it's kind of fun to make those things. And I think the total time that I spend on it, if you add it all combined, it's some I have done on Twitch and we're like only two hours, but I think mm. some the more complex one, maybe six hours, seven hours. But I really spread it out over several days or weeks so that every day I can just focus on like one little component and completely geek out on it. And on one screen, I have Figma open to like pick all the colors and uh. measure all the distances and... Yeah, then it's just layering gradients on gradients on gradients until it right. looks satisfying. I could see how you'd maybe you would need to be scientific about it, actually be measuring things yeah. rather than just kind of guessing and winging it here because it would just become a mess probably. Yeah, yeah. There's actually like some calculations involved. I think my old math teachers would be cheering right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, that's great. That's great. This episode of CodePen Radio is brought to you in part by Retool. Building internal tools from scratch is slow. It takes a lot of engineering time and resources, so most small software businesses just resign to prioritizing a select few and settling for inefficient hacks and workarounds uh, for every other business process. Don't I know it? It's like building admin tools for yourself. You're like, you've scrapped some junk together, and you're like, ah, good enough. It's not customer-facing. This is just for me. It can be bad. That's what Retool attempts to solve and it does so so well retool helps developers build internal tools faster so you can focus on the software you sell retool offers a complete ui component library so building forms and tables and workflows it's as easy as drag and drop but it's not 
just a component library. More importantly, Retool connects to basically any data source, offering app environments, permissions, single sign-on, out of the box. So it offers this escape hatch too. So if there's you know custom JavaScript you need to write, write it. All good. With Retool, you can build user dashboards, database GUIs, CRUD apps, and any other kind of software to help speed up and simplify your work without Googling for some component library that you know may or may not work for you and whatever debugging dependencies, rewriting boilerplate code. None of that. Just get started with Retool for building those internal tools. Thousands of companies are doing it. Amazon, DoorDash, Peloton, Brex. They all collaborate around custom-built Retool apps to solve internal workflows. To learn more, visit them at retool.com. Thanks for the support. Uh, you know, another kind of little surprise, perhaps, on these is that, you know, I could see there be a moment where like big areas and shadows and shapes and things were produced with CSS. But then when it comes down to text, it might just be like, oh, well, I don't know. I don't think the font exists for that yet. Or or it's just too hard to get the, you know, the text to run you like that you'd maybe like perhaps give up and use SVG or, or an image or something. But not in the case of most of these, the when it's text, it's text. Yeah. <laughs> Selectable and everything, uh, which is kind of a cool extra bonus. But also, like, you do have a a pretty specific interest in accessibility. And certainly when you don't give up and use actual text, not that not that maybe the, the Roland here needs to... The accessibility was top of mind, although maybe it was. I don't know. No, I, I stuck with just labeling it as an image with all texts. Um, yeah, right, because that's yeah. kind of what it's meant to evoke anyway. I think if at some point I would want to make it interactive, I would, of course, go back to it and, and actually improve, like, make the buttons on the screen actually buttons. But yeah, it's also a bit like a little way of, like, relaxing or, like, almost like meditation or the way I people see. might completely zone out on a coloring book or solving Sudoku yeah, or something. Crochet. Like, yeah, crochet. <laughs> yeah, or sure. something like that. So for me, it's more something that, like, I want to do to relax so I don't want to think too much about, like, adding functionality and doing all the flashy stuff with it because at that point I would have to, like, plan it out too much and the fun aspect of it would get lost a little yeah. bit. Yeah, gone. <laughs> I bet. Like after seven hours of just doing the CSS, I'm really done with looking at it. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Yeah. Like, okay. Moving on. Is there, but you know, is, speaking of other pens, there's, you know, there's a keyboard one and there's a radio. There, it seems to be some kind of connection to, to, to music or is it just because those devices look cool or do you play a bit yourself? I don't play myself, but my wife is a musician. So there's tons of instruments around the house and old synthesizers and stuff as well. One of my go-to or one of the things that I still want to do on my to-do list is taking one of her instruments and taking a picture of that and then making that one in CSS. So it's basically... Well, I'm sure you'll crush it because it's uh, you have plenty of experience here. Yeah, there's a, a Casio PT1, which, you know, that's cool because th at least that's not from a bygone era. Like if this thing still existed in your house, you could you could play that play that one, no problem. And it just looks so cool, you know, these little, little colorful buttons that you can imagine making some sick beat that you play over, you know. And the... Perhaps my favorite of all of them is that I don't, I don't even know how to describe or pronounce it, but Muzan or Musan or something. That one is like super colorful and 
I guess, a keyboard, but it only has like just over one octave of keys on it. So I can't imagine what kind of music you can produce on it, but it's an amazing looking device. Yeah, I have been eyeing that one for so long. I think I came across a picture of it very early on and I had been putting it up for quite a while because I wanted to do a really good job on it because I was drawn to it, drawn to it a lot as well because of the colors and like how interesting of an instrument it looked like. Yeah, just just couldn't be weirder you know they have this whole top right of the instrument is dedicated to just like a colorful flag shape (laughs) wow (laughs) but i like how you know you're looking straight down at it which even that is an interesting approach i think but it doesn't mean that it doesn't have any dimensionality to it you know you can see this these two knobs on either side and if you know you can imagine where your face is you can kind of see the left of the knob on the left and the or the left of the knob on the right you know whatever there's some you're not looking can see some angles to it is what i'm trying to say and it's a beautiful little detail yeah also make try to make sure that like um all of the buttons have some kind of customization and randomization to it. So it's not that every button looks the exact same. Like when you have something on the left side of the screen and the right side of the screen and they're both the same looking button, I do try to. Yeah, it, would, it wouldn't feel real then. Your brain would like, would reject it. It'd be like, oh, yeah, no. But again, this looks almost photographic. And then the colors are are shadowed, you know, almost like, let's say there's white light bouncing off it. Well, the, the, you know, the slight pink hue of the, of the plastic comes off in the shadow, which, you know, is getting a little bit more in vogue these days, even in kind of quote unquote regular web design, but Mm -hmm. is in great effect here. I love that. You know how colors are always shadowed in real life because light is a thing and (laughs) all that. I, I just want to make sure that we don't miss it here. You're you know, we can talk about pens all day and I'd love to, but I'd love to talk about you because you do other stuff as well. Certainly you build websites, but have this whole thing that you've built and are clearly super interested in the URL being ethicaldesign.guide. First, mm-hmm. first of all, .guide, killer TLD. Gotta love that. Easy to find, linked up from all your stuff. What is the ethical design guide? How did that come to be? Uh, So it's basically a collection of resources to get you started on accessibility and on uh, ethical design frameworks if you're a designer and also like a bit of articles and knowledge around what can go wrong if you don't prioritize those things and background knowledge about different identities and cultures and so on. And it came to be, uh, I think now, almost like a year and a half ago or something, the idea Um, because I'm quite interested in ethical design and I try to uh, always try to incorporate it in my work. Right now I'm working as an accessibility consultant, ethical design person. And like I constantly was sending people the same links over Slack and repeating the same things and answering the same questions that at some point I thought, let's just make a list for it that I can just send to people. And originally it was a Notion document and then... I thought that becomes a bit clumsy really easily if I want to give other people access, like edit rights to it and so on. So then I moved it to a GitHub repo and just built uh, a website on top of it with Eleventy, and then, yeah, kept building on nice. that. So people can do PRs or, or you yeah, can be exactly. invited to be a contributor or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I think that has some kind of spiritual connection to that the accessibility project or whatever, which is yeah. similar. And then there's multiple contributors and has this website home base and stuff. Is accessibility like a sub 
you know, like is within the Venn diagram of, of, of ethics? Like, well, I would say so, because if you don't make your products accessible, then you're excluding disabled people, which in my opinion is unethical. So when I talk about ethics, to me, that also includes accessibility. And I feel like the two are very interconnected in those ways. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it's not the only thing they're not the they're not you know they're, the words aren't interchangeable at least in this in no. this context i always think of things like as my understanding is a little bit limited part of me like gets a little bummed out that you people need to be i don't know trained to do the ethical thing like it's not part of human nature to be ethical that part of it is sad to me but then sometimes you you hear about stories of Things where, like, of course, I have a blind spot because I don't. I've never lived in Nigeria or something, so I'm just, I just, I'm wholly unfamiliar with their culture and customs and things. So if I, if I screwed up there, that, I mean, I should fix it, but it's perhaps not my fault that I didn't know because I've just no experience there. Yeah, a big part of it is like, I mean, you want people to educate themselves, and you want to educate people, and. Of course, no one is going to know everything, as you say, and a big part of it is learning, which is also why I wanted to create the Ethical Design Guide and send out like monthly newsletters, or I'm changing right now the format a bit to less frequent emails, but still uh, send out like frequent reminders of like, here's books you can read, here's articles, here's Mm. the latest thing that went wrong, just so people can, to help people expand their horizons a bit in that regard. Because I do see, like, in the industry, it's, like, accessibility is unfortunately not baked in into our processes yet, for example. And having the discussions on the design side when you're doing research about what can go wrong with your product, like how you can harm someone, is also something we don't really ask ourselves yet. And it's kind of sad that we ask ourselves, how can this product, like, give the customer happiness so that they buy more more items, but we don't think, or, or mm. we have the processes in place to ensure code quality when it comes to other things and review processes and such, but then we forget the accessibility and forget to include people who are usually excluded in society in those. So yeah, that's what I've been working with lately. <laughs> Trying to bring yeah, people yeah. bend over backwards to get their continuous integration set up, but, but you know, t- totally did nothing for accessibility or or ethics in a way is you, you'd think prevention is it one of you know they say this in physical medicine right that like a an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure or something that it's better to be thinking about this stuff as you're building the thing i'm sure you'd prefer probably to be hired as a consultant in the early stages rather than like, what would you say to a company that's like, what we just had a major ethical failure at our company, Sarah, please come help us fix our, fix our ethics. Would you be like, you've already failed. Like, I don't want to deal with you. Or would you be like, okay, let's talk. Uh, so when it comes uh, to accessibility, that's the thing as an accessibility consultant, you get quite often, like a lot of the projects I get with regards to accessibility specifically are, hey, we've gotten this um, audit done and our product massively failed. Or, uh, mm. hey, I know my product sucks when it comes to accessibility. We haven't thought of this in, a, in quite a long time. Can you come in and help us? Uh, that's one kind of projects I get. And then the other kind are people who come in early and say, hey, we want to build something. Can you help us make it accessible from the start? That part is definitely the most fun to work with. But also when I 
compare the amount of hours I put in in each project and the value that they get out of my time, there they also get way more value out of those early discussions and accessibility. Because we're working together to build something that's accessible so their components have at once functionality built in to take care of every element and they set up their structure in a way that they don't have to build too much custom functionality for keyboard interaction and so on. So by doing that early, all that time later on is saved while the clients will come to me and say, hey, we've gotten an audit done or hey, this sucks, can you help us fix it? Like if I spend two hours there, it's just two hours getting into the code and trying to find out why this particular criteria is failing. And like, it's way more focused on like two hours in one project will solve one bug while two hours in the other project will actually set the foundation to make sure those bugs don't have to be solved later on. That's just a huge point, I yeah. think, that you're making that, that you know, it's like, sure, if it's, if it's too, you know, if, you know whatever, you, you have some accessibility problems, it doesn't mean don't fix them or don't try to hire somebody, but it's like, ta-ta-ta, if you were to have thought of this early on, you would have gotten way more value out of it, you know? Yeah, and I try to encourage people to look at it as some kind of learning experience that way as well. Like, something is going wrong right now, rather than just freaking out and trying to patch it and, and fix this one mistake, let's look at it and think, can we use this to, is this a sign of a bigger problem? Have we been ignoring accessibility? Yes, okay, then how can we fix it? How can we make sure this bug doesn't happen again? And Like almost institutional training or something? Yeah. <laughs> That's tricky. Do you have anything that you found particularly effective in that regard? Because, I, I mean, whatever, hardly a week goes by I don't think about or log or attempt to fix some kind of minor accessibility thing on projects that I work on. But I'm not sure that I think about, at least every time, okay, I fixed this, but how can I make sure that it, you know, something like this never comes up again? I'm probably not doing as well as I could there, to be <laughs> honest. But it's not always possible to prevent that from happening again, but especially with bigger products, I like to look at it as individual developers can make mistakes and will make mistakes and no one can know everything, but it's up to the individual developer to try and get their code in check. But if something is not accessible, it's also part of, you know, there not being reviews uh, during testing, no one has looked at it, no one has invested in training and so on. So depending on the thing, you could look at it as, okay, um, I see that I've gotten several issues now that I had to fix where missing there was missing alt text. Then you can go and look at, mm. are there any plugins that will like linter errors that can be thrown if I don't have uh, alt text? Is there any automated testing I can set up with regards to that. Or if the issue is that you're messing up a lot with keyboard order and stuff, okay, first mm. speed up on trying to understand how those people uh, use a keyboard to navigate the web or try to understand how you would use a keyboard to use your website. And then try to like understand what's needed to, because often those things you can solve by building just something sustainable and a lot of uh, what I see, like when, for example, it comes to screen reader accessibility and keyboard issues, the issue isn't necessarily that it's very hard to make it screen reader accessible. It's just that the way 
if you never think of the fact that it has to be screen reader accessible, maybe your components will be rendered in a weird order and CSS programmatically put in the correct place. And then hmm. to a screen reader, it gets read in the wrong order. So with those things, it comes more down to building an accessible structure of your website and more reading up on how screen readers specifically work or what implications area roles have and so on. Great. Fantastic advice, really. Speaking of some educational stuff, if we tie it back to some of your pens, there's one pen that you did called the Polaroid Camera and CSS that you really took like a little above and beyond at least the educational aspects of it more than some others. Maybe. I mean, at least I can see that you you made it and it's on CodePen, super popular on CodePen, but then blogged it in depth. You know, there's a whole how I recreated the Polaroid camera with CSS Gradient. Sounds like Gradients is a one of your big tools, I think, for these, right? Yeah. Gradients and shadows. You know, it starts with the photo that you found of it and 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 really details the process here. So normally I would I would ask a guest to be like, tell, tell me a little bit more about, you know, that that process kind of thing. Although you already did mention, you know, a lot of it just finds with finding a good source material. But this goes much deeper in, you know, the HTML structure and the CSS approach and, and all kinds of stuff. It's more detailed and interesting than you'd think. A lot of color picking and palette making and all kinds of stuff. Pretty cool. So that's educational, but then it 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 lives on CodePen. There's a there's a it's on Glitch as well. There's a GitHub repo for it and all that. This one you you took everywhere. What was the thinking on that one? Just to see how far these things can go or uh, it was more that I wanted to write a tutorial about it because the first time that I posted it, I saw some people were interested in it and I had it on the back of my mind. And then as soon as I posted the Polaroid camera, I saw a lot of people were asking how I did it and a lot of people were liking it. So then I was like, okay, let's just this afternoon set some time aside and write a tutorial about it and not let this like go to waste. Let's actually turn this into something tangible that someone can maybe learn some CSS from. Well, that happened, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And another thing I um, have, have heard, or it seems to be true, is that, so it's like, okay, let's say you develop these skills at reproducing old technology, you know, there's this wonderful old, old Macintosh that you did as well and all that. Spent all this time. And to you, it's, you know, what, like you said, it's knitting or (laughs) whatever, it's relaxing and and there's all that. But you're, would you say that you're, I mean, you're developing and flexing these styling skills as well. So when it comes to time to perhaps writing CSS in a more quote unquote normal setting, that you're more confident at it. You're essentially better at it. Definitely. Like, um, yeah, especially my speed gets strained a lot. And after spending so much time just writing the same properties over and over again, it becomes second nature so quickly. And also the structure and like having to think of a component, like a physical component of a keyboard or a physical component on a camera of the lens and how you would break that down in subcomponents oh. that make sense physically because that's also something I try to do. I try to look at the object and think, how can I extract this in terms of different separated components and what are their different functionalities? Like if you look at the CSS classes, it will always be named after um 
like it will be like the lens or like the lens container and like we'll have different yeah there's some naming at work yeah yeah Yeah, so i feel like it also really helps me um to be a bit to think of components on the web in a different way as well because or maybe not necessarily in a different way but it kind of strengthens that training as well so like to me like i would really recommend people to be creative and have fun with CSS and HTML or whatever programming language it is that they're Mm -hmm. enjoying and build something that you're passionate about and that you enjoy because that's a really great way to learn it. You know, I haven't thought of that in the same way that you put it that, you know, I normally think of like, well, it's your CSS skills that are developing mostly. But I think your point was that it's, yeah, sure, but equally or more so that HTML in a way of of breaking up a component and and perhaps thinking of the structure of the component too like oh it'll actually be easier to style this child if it's if it's a child of this child rather than having them all be flat on one parent because you know looking at your pens there's plenty of there's plenty of nested html structure and sure that's great for this drawing but that's exactly how componentry works on any website where you're building in components yeah and it also brings it again back to accessibility because that's such an important part of accessibility as well like how you set up your site structure and how you build your html and thinking of regards to functionality right what do you call it the document structure or whatever the doesn't it doesn't it isn't there a, a literal like alternate dom almost like when a website loads it makes a um it makes like an accessibility tree that access, you know, that screen reader tools yeah, exactly. use to represent the site. Oh, that's amazing. The connection there. I never thought of that. I wonder how many other, you know, co- CSS artists essentially, you know, dabble or are, are all in on accessibility because of that, like internal connection between those, you know, that kind of, this is how my brain works. <laughs> <laughs> Well, your brain works pretty good, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> it's a pleasure to, to to have you on the show. I told you the time flies really quick on these things. So we're, we're about at the end. Is there anything you want to make sure we share with people or point people towards before we wrap? Uh, yeah, uh, people can find my tutorials on fosheim.io. And when it comes to accessibility, I'm also involved in a group of database accessibility specialists. And we have a GitHub repo with resources on database accessibility specifically, which is github.com slash database A11Y, so database accessibility. And then there's, of course, also the ethical design guides you already mentioned, ethicaldesign.guide. Fantastic. Yeah, database accessibility resources. Just needs a just needs a little eleven D website and we'll be all ready to go. It's on my to do list. <laughs> it's endless. <laughs> nice, and that that does seem important too. How many times do you see an infographic or whatever that's just some freaking JPEG sitting on the the web, or or even if they did JPEG without more. alt text. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or even if they made it, it's you know programmatically, then it's just canvas and doesn't have any alternate or anything. I'm sure this is a a big thing. I'm just go ahead and star that repo. all right thanks again so much sarah it was a pleasure to talk to you i hope to do it again soon thank you for having me take care bye